Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. A not-so-full crew today. Doug Bowman is on some beach somewhere, but Matasis and Evan Watkins showing up to work today. How are you guys doing? Normal run-of-the-mill week of, of coaching changes and recruiting updates and, I don't know, maybe gotten four hours of sleep in the last six days. But, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we're working hard over here. We're... We're hitting quotas. We're pumping out content like it's nobody's business. All while Doug takes the company money and goes on a little retreat, a little vacation, but much deserves for him. He chose a great time to go on vacation while we're all working over here. Hey, maybe if you guys try a little bit harder next year, you guys could be the award winner that gets the uh, 24-7 sports paid vacation. Alas, that is not the case. Doug Bowman in paradise and the three of us on a podcast to, I guess, delve deeper into the Brent Pry hire. Last time we spoke, it was less than four hours removed from the announcement of the hire, which obviously, given that we had recorded a podcast the night before and only really skimmed past the name Brent Pry, took us all by at least some degree of surprise. But the initial press conferences happened, and he started to make moves. So... We'll start with that opening press conference. What were your thoughts? I don't think there's any other way to win a press conference than what he did. I mean, if if that is what the job is, then he he hit a home run. I mean, he knocked that uh, that press conference really out of the park. From circling it back to him beginning his roots in Blacksburg, and you know tying in Bud, tying in Frank. Um, talking about the fans, talking about winning the state in recruiting. Um, you know, I think that from every angle you look at it, he checked every box in that press conference. He had, uh, you know, he was poised. He had charisma, uh, joking about, um, you know, down in New Orleans with J.C. Price in 95. And I think that he brought a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of personality out. He's a big personality guy which we haven't seen in a while. So, you know, I think that was really good to see. I think he got Hokie Nation really on his back uh, right there, right from the jump that they will support him. Um, the overwhelming support throughout the high schools over the last, you know, eight days or so has been really, really strong. I'm sure donations have gone up substantially uh, for the Hokie Club. A lot of people buying season tickets, the outreach to fans, the quickness. He was willing to get everything together to talk to, to alumni and, and you know, former former players, uh, getting up before the crack of dawn to meet with the Corps of Cadets. I mean, the, the entire day was really a home run. From a PR perspective, you couldn't have asked for anything better. So, you know, I was I was impressed. We knew he was a big personality. We knew to expect some of that. But I mean, I was I was really impressed sitting there watching it and then going back to transcribe part of it. Just the way he handled himself, the way he answered questions, the, the way he was genuine about it and, and really heartfelt. I think I think he truly does embrace the opportunity at Virginia Tech, which is something that the Hokies really need right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to wonder how long this 
PR tour was planned within the athletic department. Maybe even before they knew Brent Pry was going to be the guy, I'm sure a minimum requirement for the job was going to be that outgoing personality that could get the fan base going. So here you have them parading Brent Pry around as the anti-Justin Fuente, the guy that checks all those boxes that Justin Fuente has, you know, a, a more antisocial, distant figure without ties to Virginia Tech, you know, l- left a void in that upset a lot of the fan base. But most coaches win press conferences. Matei, is there anything that he's done in particular that has stood out that makes you think this guy gets it or maybe pump the brakes a little bit? Because I've seen this fan base go from who the moment this guy was announced to falling in love with him at the press conference to now it seems like everyone wants to take up the uh, jeans and leather jacket look just because he rocks it all the time. Yeah, certainly. That was probably the most impressive thing going to the half times of both the men's and women's basketball teams and rocking that leather jacket around. But I think when you look at Brent Pry and what he's been able to do, it goes back to your point of being the outward facing personality that Virginia Tech Hokie fans deserve going and I think there was a list that Virginia Tech Twitter put out and kind of showcased all the things he was doing around the community. He's meeting with all the recruits right now. I mean, we were joking around about us not sleeping in the beginning of this podcast, but Brent Pry has taken every single opportunity to meet with donors, the team, uh, people all over Virginia Tech. And uh, I think the most impressive thing is that when you look at a guy that's been a coordinator for so long, he's never been a head coach. He he looks like he's a seasoned guy, like he knows what he's doing. And I think that instills a lot of confidence in a lot of the fans that he's making all the right moves right now. He's not you know, he's not being judged for any on-field products. He's not really going out there and forced to recruit new guys just yet. Um, he's mainly keeping the class intact and kind of, you know, making his hires and it's still the honeymoon period, but, but so far so good for Brent Pry. I mean, I've been pretty impressed. We knew a lot of this was going to happen in terms of, you know, sharing his experiences, but I think the way that he's kind of captivated fans, the way he's showing his personality is, is really something that's really nice to see early on in his head coaching career. You mentioned those hires, and I think that from what we saw during the Justin Fuente era, it's become apparent the importance and the value that a good staff has towards the ultimate success of the team. And I think that Brent Pride truly shouldn't be judged as a hire until you see the staff in its completion. The offensive side of the ball, which is probably more important given Brent Pride's defensive background, we haven't heard much from there. No announcements made yet, but... The defensive side is starting to fill out. Sean Quinn, the former head coach of Savannah State, who turned that program around, he's been added to the staff in a role that hasn't necessarily been solidified yet. Same with Derek Jones, associate head coach and co-defensive coordinator at Texas Tech, a guy with 12 years of experience at Duke. And the defensive coordinator has been selected. It's Chris Marv, linebackers coach from Florida State. Evan, Take me through these hires. What's the strategy there? And what grade would you give these hires? Do you see the the thought process that Brett Pry is going through as he makes these selections? I mean, anybody that has followed followed me, followed VT Scoop, seen me post on the message boards, knows that I'm going to give Derek Jones the highest grade I can. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of Derek Jones. I think he's a very good coach. I think he's a very good recruiter. I mean, he was getting four stars to Duke. Um, that's really, really hard to do. Um, he, he's just a really good coach. He's really good mentor. I love his inspirational quotes. I love the way he carries himself. His, his social media game is probably the best that I've seen. Um, I've, I've been a big fan of his, uh, you know, since he was at Duke, I think he's just a really good coach. I think he's probably going to be, uh, the top hire for me, whether he's just coaching corners or whether he's coaching corners and safety, you know, I think if you can pair him, uh, with Ryan Smith, that's kind of, that would be my, my scenario right there would be to make Smitty the safeties coach and let, uh, Derek Jones run the corners. I think you have two huge outgoing personalities that can recruit really well and might be able to bring back some of these big time players to go play for DBU that we used to see under Tory and Gray. Um, so, you know, I think that those two guys could do really well there if they can get, uh, if, if they can retain Smitty, I know he's kind of going between a couple offers right now. A couple different schools are, are interested in him. So if he can, uh, if Virginia tech can retain him, I think that would be huge. Sean Quinn is interesting to me. We don't really know a whole lot about him because of his experience more at lower levels, but you know, what he did at Savannah state was, was pretty miraculous to be honest, the turnaround that they had in, in about two years for a guy that wasn't even on a contract as a head coach. I can't fathom that being in this business, but no agent, no, no, none of that. He was a regular run of the mill every day employee of the university making like $90,000 turning around a football program that didn't even have a dedicated weight room, didn't have a nutrition schedule, didn't have anything like that. None of the amenities that you would see in college football. And he was able to turn that program around. So it's clear he knows how to coach football. It's clear that he knows how to relate to players. He's got deep recruiting connections. I think some people may overlook that, but the fact that he was at uh, Savannah State and being able to pull uh, some of the guys that he was able to pull and being able to work the transfer portal. He built trust with a lot of a lot of high school coaches throughout Georgia and Florida and you know maybe Alabama and states like that as well. But he's got a really good recruiting footprint there and a really good network that uh, that he should be able to utilize. The big question will be what does he fit at Virginia Tech? They've been really vague with that, and I think that is by design right now. We were hearing linebacker coach, but Chris Marv changes that because that's what he's been his whole career. So is he the D coordinator or linebackers coach now? What does that mean for Sean Quinn? Honestly, I think Sean Quinn would be dynamite as an advisor to Brent Pry as an off the field guy. Can, can you do that right now? I think it's smart the way that Virginia Tech worded everything and, and got him hired and, and was able to get him on the road recruiting. But will he be an on-the-field coach? I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Could he be a co-D-line coach with J.C. Price? Could he be an advisor? Could he be a QA? We don't really know right now where he's going to fit in. What we do know is Brent Pry really trusts him, uh, and he is an outsider to Virginia Tech. So that checks my boxes as a really good special advisor at what people would call as the kill role that Jerry kill did at Virginia tech. You need somebody that's not a yes man to the university, 
and you need somebody that's an honest evaluator of talent and of a football program. And we can tell by his experience that that he has that. Um, so maybe that's going to be his his future calling there. You know, Chris Marv is is another one that's a little interesting to me. I think Florida State maybe wrote wrote him off a little early. Uh, he did do well, I, in my opinion, uh, trying to rebuild their defense a little bit. They have been in a rebuild. Um, to rebuild the defense, the linebacker play seemed to get the most out of his players there. Now, he's not he's not a go-out-and-be-a-dynamic recruiter. He's not Smitty. He's not, uh, you know, Derek Jones. He's not any of these guys that have that huge outgoing personality that can go out and relate to anyone and recruit really well. But he's a good X's and O's coach from what I see. Uh, he's he's relatable to certain people. Obviously, he landed Alex Orgy's two older brothers at Vanderbilt. He's smart. He's got a degree from Vanderbilt. Uh, he played there. That's the connection with him and Chris Pry. I think I think Chris or I think uh, sorry Brent Pry. I think he had a vision of bringing in someone that he trusts to be the D coordinator that he can mold. You know, we heard him at his introductory press conference talk about how much he learned from Bud. And we've heard throughout his career him re referencing the mentorship he had with Bud and how he was a Bud disciple. I think this is something similar. I think he's bringing in somebody that isn't going to bring in their own system. He's not bringing in somebody that brings in their own ego. He's bringing in somebody smart that he's worked with before that he's coached with. Uh, he's coached personally and and is going to mold them into being a D coordinator. Does that mean that Virginia Tech's D coordinator is now learning on the job? It absolutely does, which is a risk. It's a risk for anyone. But when you have Brent Pry, who is known as a very good defensive coordinator calling the shots, you can take that risk because, you know, Brent already said he's going to uh, he's going to call the defense for at least the first year. It might be longer. It all is going to depend on how quickly he can trust and mold uh, Marv into being his kind of successor uh, at the D coordinator position. So I think that's a risky hire, but I think it's an interesting hire. It's something that maybe I wouldn't have done, but I can understand the thought process behind it. Uh, and then I think retaining J.C. Price was just a slam dunk. J.C. Price is beloved by the fan base now after beating UVA smoking cigars uh, in, in Scott Stadium, uh, the uh, this is my school, this is home quote that was everywhere on ESPN. He relates to recruits, he relates to alumni, he relates to the university. Just an absolute slam dunk to keep him on staff uh, and, and let him be the D-line coach. Is he the full D-line coach? Do they bring somebody else with him? That's still stuff that they have to figure out as they're building out this staff, but when you want to say checks every box for an assistant coach, J.C. Price checks every box. So the the uh, love he has gotten from high school uh, coaches in the Commonwealth after being retained, that's one of the things that I did the first day that Brent Pry was announced and that J.C. was staying was I reached out to a lot of high school coaches and said, what do you know about Brent Pry? What do you think about J.C. being retained? Every one of them was positive about J.C. Now, not every one of them knew Brent Pry because he didn't recruit every state, every school in the state uh, at, at Penn State. He had certain areas, certain regions, typically northern Virginia was more where he was known. But J.C. Price, almost everybody knew who he was and was really, really respective of 
what he's done at Virginia Tech and what he can do recruiting. So I think that was a huge hire. Obviously, finishing out this class is, or this uh, this this staff has to be a huge priority, and that offensive side is very quiet. Uh, so either they got something big planned, or there's something going on. There's a reason they won't announce anything yet. But on the defense so far, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, certainly interesting. Certainly interesting. And I think that one thing that the, the Derek Jones hire does solidify is. When Brent Pry said we're going to recruit our footprint, that doesn't just include Virginia, right? And while Pry has experience recruiting the Mid-Atlantic region, he's not, not so familiar with Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, where Virginia Tech's had a lot of success. You need someone with the connections there, and it's God's work to bring four-star recruits to Duke University on anything other than the basketball court. So I, I think the, the Jones hire is particularly uh particularly strategically useful, if you will. In terms of Chris Marv, frankly, it was a name I hadn't heard of. I didn't expect them to go out and get a Manny Diaz type or anything like that. I know that some tech fans wanted to throw that name out there. When you have a defensive-minded head coach, he wants to implement his own scheme. He doesn't want another big figure who expects big responsibility right away. This defensive coordinator could be calling the defense after spring practice. It could take a few games. Price said in the press conference, he doesn't know. So going with a little more of a low profile, a younger guy, upward trajectory makes all the sense in the world to me. And now, assuming that you might have been able to save a little money here, that's even more money in the pot when you hire your offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I just want to jump in quickly on Chris Marv because I think out of all the coaching hires so far, he might be the most controversial. Obviously, everyone knows what you get in J.C. Price, Derek Jones, Sean Quinn being kind of that advisor, Jerry Kill type. But Chris Marv, like not a lot of people were expecting his name. And I think when you look at the staff as a whole and Brent Pry and his pride in himself and his system that is, you know, modeled after Bud Foster and whatnot, he wants to implement that. And if you're going out there and hiring someone that's in a million dollar coordinator out there on the market, uh, you mentioned like a Manny Diaz. Imagine if he came to Virginia Tech. But, you know, you want to find a guy that at least will listen to your ideas, someone that will implement what you want to run. And uh, it sounds as if the first year will be uh, Brent Pry's system. He'll be calling most of the plays. And Chris Marv is a very meticulous you know, detail-oriented type of coach. He's only 32 years old. And I think, you know, a lot of the fan base kind of reacted to uh, some of the negative stories about his recruiting experiences. Um, I did talk to some of the Florida State guys at, at over at 24-7 Sports, and it seems a little overblown saying that, you know, he was a terrible recruiter. It seemed more like he was someone that took very underwhelming group of Florida State linebackers and really got the most out of them, made them one of the strong points of the Florida State defense. Maybe that's not saying too much, but he really is a developer of talent. He's a guy that knows all the details, knows how to maximize potential and getting caught up in those details, you know, takes away from a lot of the recruiting. And you think of these big time coordinators, they're typically not the star recruiters on a staff. Putting him on a more on the field role where he can kind of highlight those experiences of maximizing talent, game planning, looking at every single detail, I think is a way to make a guy that has been on three rising stars list into you know a household name at defensive coordinator. So I think it's a higher 
with a bunch of potential. I wouldn't put too much weight into his ability to recruit. He's clearly a former player not too long ago that's 32 years old. He relates well to his players. I think it was more of putting in that extra effort, being tireless on the recruiting trail, that he didn't live up to par at a school like Florida State where you have to do both at a high level. Putting him more to an on-the-field on type of role I think will really maximize the skills that he has and the trust of Brent Pry putting that in him I think is really crucial to judging this higher down the road yeah let me jump in there a little bit too with, with what Matei was saying is I think people might look at that and say because I've seen the stuff I've seen the the things that were written uh, you know by some of the Florida State fans that he wasn't a great recruiter and this and that and I want to be honest here Virginia Tech's recruiting and Florida State's recruiting are not on the same playing field, okay? Like, Florida State should always out-recruit Virginia Tech. They have uh, better access to, you know, the, the locality uh, to a lot of, of big-time players. They have a history. They have a pedigree. They should be able to recruit really well. So if you're a guy that, you know, doesn't recruit well to them and you put them in a new, in a different uh, situation, can it look like they're a better recruiter? I think it can. You know, if he's landing high three-star guys at Florida State or low four-star guys at Florida State, that might be a questionable thing to their standards. But you put that in Blacksburg, uh, and that can actually be considered doing above above par, uh, depending on what they, you know, how how things shake out and, and the players that you can bring in. So. You know, I think that some of it is also overblown. I agree with uh, with Matei on that. But I do think, you know, kind of the way that Brent Pry was at Penn State as a D coordinator, he wasn't necessarily the guy that was the boots on the ground recruiting. He was the guy everybody came to on official visits. He was the guy when you step foot on campus, you went to his office to learn a, about the defense and why you should play for him. He wasn't the guy going out there and beating on the doors and, and doing all of that initially. He was more of the closer guy behind the scenes doing the in-homes and all of that. If you can have Chris Marv doing that and focusing on uh, you know, the play on the field, the X's and the O's, and being molded into a traditional defensive coordinator, not somebody that's learning on the job, I think it can be really, uh, really beneficial. It's clear that he can re uh, relate to, to some guys. I mean, Alex Orsi's older brothers related to him really well when he recruited them to Vanderbilt. And I believe one of them was a four-star out of high school. I, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I believe one of them was. So I think he has the ability, depending on the certain role and, and the expectation that's placed upon him. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of people out there that may have knee-jerk emotionally already written Chris Marv off. I'm not writing him off. I'll, I'll admit it's a it's a risk for Brent Pry. It's a risk for Virginia Tech. But I'm not writing anything off yet. I mean, it's been three hours since the guy's been hired and eight days since Brent Pry took over. So let's let's give him a little bit of breathing room and see, see what happens after a cycle or two. So I want to turn to the recruiting side where Brent Pry and what is basically his entire staff at this point – have been hard at work on the road. We've seen some decommitments, unsurprisingly. Jackson LaHoy from Texas, DeAndre Martin decommitted as well, but they add a four-star in Benji Gosnell, and they've been trekking around the Commonwealth to try to keep some of these guys in the boat. How do you secure a guy like Benji Gosnell 
without having an offensive staff in place. And on the other side of that coin, you go into Ramon Brown's house without an offensive coordinator. Is that just a hi, nice to meet you? Please hang on and wait and see who we hire and see if you like him situation. What good does this part of the staff, the defensive side of the ball, plus a head coach, have to offer to these offensive recruits who are probably on the fence for good reason because they don't know what system's going to be implemented. They don't know what guy they're going to be playing for. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll start off with the the uh, the god of ESPN Blacksburg, Benji Gosnell. We don't have to we don't have to ask what the latest in his recruitment is every week now that we know he's committed to Virginia Tech. So, you know, Benji was one of those guys. That one when you walk into a situation where you have a four-star on a platter that you can land within the first 48 hours of being named a head coach, there's not a better situation to walk into. So Benji was ready. He was locked in and ready for Virginia Tech. All he needed to know was, would Brent Pry take him? You know, he had the injury. Um, he had never really met Brent Pry before. I mean, Penn State had offered him and recruited him, but he hadn't done much more than exchanged a few text, text messages with with Pry uh, prior to him being hired at Virginia Tech. So, I mean, that one was kind of teed up for him from the jump. Benji loves Virginia Tech. He loves Blacksburg. That's where he wants to play his college football. That's where he wants to get a degree from. And and he was locked in and ready to go. Now, it is a little bit different also with him because he's a jumbo athlete. They like him at tight end, but they also really like him at linebacker. And there's not really, you know, much better than than the guy who, who claims LBU to go into your house and be your, your future head coach. So, you know, if he's going to play linebacker, he's got what he needs in Blacksburg. If he's going to play tight end, he still may, may not know what's going on, but at least I think he has a vision. That's the big thing is can you sell the vision of what the type of offense is you want to run? You know, uh, do you sell a guy like Tyler Bowen as being a connection to the staff? Nobody's announced anything on him, but – you know, he's got a deep connection to Brent Pry. He's the tight ends coach for the Jags. He was a co-OC at Penn State. I think you have to look at that name, uh, you know, and, and think that he could be a, a potential guy on the staff. Do you look at some of the other names that are out there and float those? Or does Brent Pry know who his OC is and just can't name it yet due to either contractual obligations where the school, for the school or the program the, the person is already at? Or while they're building a staff, they want it, want things quiet. Maybe that's the the you know the uh, the route that he goes. I would be shocked if Brent Pry went in home with Ramon Brown and did not let him know something about who the offensive coordinator would be. Now, will we ever know that? We, we probably won't. But you can't go into his house, the 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 top dog of the recruiting cycle. Uh, and say, we want you, we need you, come play for me, but I can't tell you anything else about the offense. I would bet Ramon Brown knows what's going down in Blacksburg and what 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 uh, what could be coming up on the offensive side of the ball. Is it enough to keep him? Is it enough to get him to sign? He's going to be in Blacksburg this weekend. I think they will know more probably this weekend and a, maybe a, a, a more complete picture uh, will be displayed for him but you know I think right now you have to sell the vision and and give you know give the recruits transparency give them what you can 
If you don't know, you don't know. But I would guess if I was a betting man, I would bet Brent Bryan knows uh, what's going to happen here in the next few weeks of the offensive side of the ball. Do you think that this staff is doing a, a good enough job or has the potential to do the job that's required to keep most of these guys in the boat? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at the top commits of the class right now, there's obviously going to be an emphasis on keeping those guys, but I don't. I, I agree with Evan. I don't think you're rushing into Ramon Brown's house without a plan simply to show him that you care. I think they're going in. They have their game plan. Obviously, they can't share for whatever reason to the public, whether they're pending announcements or, or whatnot, but they're not only going into these homes and saying, trust us, trust us with your commitment, trust us with your career, but they're saying, give us a chance, come on campus, see what we're all about, see maybe some of the guys will be announced next weekend. I'm not sure on exact specifics, but as in terms of the top commits in this class right now, most of them are solid for Virginia Tech. I feel really good about the four stars in this class and some of the higher tier three stars. I feel good about Alex Orji. I feel good about Rashad Purnell. Um, there's, there's a lot of guys at the top of this list that you would think with a coaching change and a plethora of options could look almost anywhere. And yet it's it seems like most of them will lock with Virginia Tech when it comes to early signing day. Uh, obviously, Gunnar Givens is going to be a big name to watch. Uh, visited, he visited UNC, but I don't think there's a lot of concern there. Ramon Brown seems like he's going to be locked in after this upcoming weekend. Uh, and then you have other guys like Cam Johnson that I feel good about. So uh, all in all, like I think there was a big worry when – Brent Pry was announced that regardless of that hire, a lot of people would look elsewhere for options. A lot of other universities would kind of come in and poach. But so far, I think the staff has done a really good job in terms of damage control and also selling the vision, even though all the pieces aren't in place yet. A lot of these recruits really respect the people that are on staff now. On the other side, a lot of people either hitting the draft or hitting the portal. James Mitchell, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, Amari Barno, Lasita Smith, just to name a few, and certainly more to come. The cupboard is going to be left somewhat bare here, <laughs> to say the least, in terms of the big-name players that Virginia Tech fans have come to know and love over the course of the last few years. Is this going to be a situation where Brent Pry and his staff are going to have to hit the portal hard to prevent a bottoming out year in 2022. I think so. And if you look at the portal, like as of today, as of December 7th, this is one of the most absurd portals I have seen. The entries in there, LSU, I think like an hour ago, their starting quarterback, Max Johnson, entered the portal. Um, it's There's so many names in there in terms of quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs. Uh, Jemias Griffin just entered. I mean, there's a lot of ties to a lot of people that are in the portal right now. And I think when you are a head coach, you know, embarking on your first season, you don't really have a tie to a lot of the people in on the roster right now. So making those decisions seems a bit easier, especially in that first year, getting guys that want to come into your system, be plug and play guys, you know, Brent Pry can go out there and 
easily find a quarterback to compete with Braxton Burmeister for next year. Um, I think the way that this roster has been built, I mean, the, the biggest concern we had all year was the depth on the roster. So bringing in guys and there'll be a bunch of spots to work with. I think you have to hit the transfer portal hard. And even if you swing and miss on the, on the first five prospects within the transfer portal, there's a wealth of talent in there as of today. And it's only going to continue to fill up. My primary concern is that quarterbacks will be scared off by the presence of Connor Blumrick on the roster. I don't think anyone wants to come in and peep with that guy. 100% 100% agree. I mean, once he recovers from a knee injury, there's no telling what the bull, the Blumrick will do. Um, big season ahead, big off season ahead. I think on the other side of what Matei was saying is going to be interesting too, is for Virginia Tech, just looking at their numbers to get, you know, to, to, to get back to 85 while signing a full class out of high school, Yes, there's been a decent amount of attrition so far. Nothing other than Tavion Robinson that we didn't really expect uh, going into the season. Guys that were going to turn pro or guys that you could see the writing on the wall that they were going to leave the program. Um, And there's still several more out there that I'm expecting to leave after the bowl game. But if you look at take away even the guys that have left, Virginia Tech is still in the 70s of scholarships remaining. Uh, or already used, I should say, scholarships already claimed for next year. And they have 20, what, 23 guys committed right now. They're going to add some more. Then they're going to work the portal. They don't have numbers to do that. They have to get back to 85 um, by the start of fall camp next year. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that works. And the downside, the ugly side of college football is – telling kids that they don't have a place to play, you know, when, when you have to go through the roster and say, you know, we have to have these real hard, honest conversations of you don't fit the scheme. You're simply not good enough. Uh, we need you to do X, Y, and Z off the field and you're not doing it. You know, whatever you have to do to trim roster space that, that every school has to go through. When you go through a coaching change, it can be a little bit easier because, like Matei said, Brent Pry doesn't have any connection to these kids, really. I mean, other than the fact he's their coach now, he didn't recruit them to Blacksburg. He wasn't the reason they came. He didn't sit in their living rooms. He wasn't the one they ran to when their lives were falling apart in some instances. He wasn't the one celebrating with them after de- beating uh, UVA you know, on their field this year. He wasn't any a part of any of that. So he can come in with an honest evaluation and start to make some space. It's the ugly side of football that nobody likes to talk about, but it happens every day across the country. Kids are going to be pushed to the portal because they simply need to make room for uh, for signing guys out of the portal or signing a 2022 class. Thanks to the issue that the NCAA created with no relief for the coaches Five years of relief for players, zero relief for the coaches. So, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that side of it pans out. I've said this since the beginning of of fall camp. Expect a lot of attrition after the season for Virginia Tech. It doesn't mean anything about Brent Pry. Didn't mean anything about Justin Fuente. It's simply math for Virginia Tech to be able to sign who they have and to be able to rebuild the roster the right way. They have to have a lot of kids leave. So uh, I think fans should be expecting that. 
Yeah, certainly interesting, and there'll be no shortage of news in the weeks and months to come as Virginia Tech tries to enter this new era with parts of what remains from the Fuente era and a bunch of names that, quite frankly, a lot of Virginia Tech fans haven't heard yet are going to be the names that we're highlighting in next year's season preview podcast. I want to turn to the rest of the ACC here, though, because it's just absolutely crazy. UVA, Miami, Duke, all open coaching spots. Well, I guess Miami was never really open. They kind of hired their coach before firing their current one. But I want to start with UVA. In my radio career, I've never been more thrown off by a piece of information I learned while on the air than when I got the update that Bronco Mendenhall had resigned as the head coach of the University of Virginia. Totally out of left field. I mean, this is a guy that seemed to be a media darling in building up the idea that Virginia was really onto something with their football program, that he had sort of revived it from the depths of the Mike London era. Is that the whole story? I don't know, but they're certainly in a better place than they were six years ago when he came on. Now where does Virginia turn, right? You made this progress and you're back to square one. What do you make of the Bronco Mendenhall resignation? And what are some names as they try to forge into their future as well? I think everybody was thrown off. I think, we, you know, us and Doug were all in a group text texting about it as it was going down. And, and I think we were all really surprised uh, that that Bronco was resigning. Um, you know, it was interesting, too, the way everything was worded, the press conference. I, I don't really know what to make of it. You know, we've heard that he was maybe being pushed to make some changes and refused to make the changes and, and resigned. Um, you know, and there's been some other rumors going around, but I'm not in tune enough with, with Virginia to know what happened there, but it was, it was definitely shocking. I didn't expect that one to open this year. I think, uh, I think we all kind of looked at the landscape and we could see other ones opening, but that one was definitely a surprise. Um, and then the way that they've handled the coaching search has been, has been really kind of kind of baffling. You know, we've heard that they would go maybe for a big time experienced guy. And then, you know, 48 hours later, it sounded like they were going to go uh, go get Ricky Rand from Old Dominion and bring him up. Uh, and then it turned really quickly to Tony Elliott. And then it turned into uh, Anthony Poindexter. And then it turned away from Anthony Poindexter because he wasn't experienced enough to now being back to Anthony Poindexter where it seems like this thing has been a mess. As quiet as Virginia Tech's search uh, was for Brent Pry, uh, and it, it can be aggravating when it's when it's quiet. It can be frustrating when you don't really know everything that's going on to, to having one like UVA's having right now, where it seems like it's kind of a headache at every, every turn. Uh, and you have boosters pushing for, for Poindexter, but he doesn't necessarily have the experience that maybe a, a program like UVA would like him to have. And, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really been kind of mind boggling. I think, I think if you're going to make Anthony Poindexter, the guy, he should have been the guy from, from, from jump. I, I don't think you, you know, if you're going to swing for the fences, maybe swing for the fences, but it didn't seem really like they did that. Right. Like the, the guys that are, most talked about in contention were the old Dominion head coach, which you could go and poach, you know, or, or Anthony Poindexter or Tony Elliott, who seems to be mentioned with every ACC head coaching opening, yet doesn't seem to really have as much smoke uh, as as you would expect with what he's done at Clemson. So 
It's been it's been an interesting one. I think uh, you know I think Poindexter would be an interesting hire for them. I think he would recruit the state really well. I think he would be a major battle for Brent Pry for a lot of players in the state of Virginia. But can he win football games? You know, it's a it's a major risk. Um, and you could say Brent Pry is a major risk as well. I'd I'd, I'd agree. Uh, but I think that it's a risk going Anthony Poindexter. I thought. UVA would go maybe somebody more established, maybe go with a little bit of a methodical approach to it. Instead, it's been like a little bit of a mini circus that I don't know who really has has a grasp on right now. But I'd say the clubhouse leader might be Poindexter, and I think it would be it would be an interesting an interesting hire for them on multiple levels. But I think Dex is a good coach. I think he's got a really bright future. I think he's uh, you know. There were rumors he could be the D coordinator at Virginia Tech um, until today when when Marv was announced. So, you know, I think that that one would be interesting and it would definitely cause some interesting recruiting battles uh, in the state of Virginia between him and Brent Pry. Matei, do you think that Virginia Tech would have been better off with Bronco Mendenhall still at the helm at UVA? If, say, a guy like Poindexter, who has more recruiting prowess in the Commonwealth of Virginia, becomes the head coach there? I think it's it's better if you're a Virginia Tech fan that Bronco Mendenhall is no longer at Virginia as 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 little success as he had outside of 2019 against Virginia Tech. Like he really did maximize that program from the state that he took it over. And I think the first year he took it over, they were two and 10. Uh, he ended up winning the Coastal in one year, which nobody expected. Obviously, he's had two generational type quarterbacks at UVA in Bryce Perkins and uh, Brennan Armstrong. But in terms of what he's been able to do, I mean, he's had, you know, one of the better defenses in Virginia early on or in the ACC at Virginia early on in his career. And then he had the number one overall offense in college football this past season. If he somehow figured out the formula and got both to go on the same level, he would have figured out how to make magic at Virginia. But you know, when I, when you look at Dex, obviously he's a guy that has so many ties to that school in Virginia and it makes so much sense on so many levels, but He's a person that literally just finished up or is finishing up his first season as the defensive coordinator at Penn State. So it's not a guy with a wealth of in, you know experience in terms of doing it at the highest level as a coordinator. But, uh, you know, whereas Bronco Mendenhall is a proven guy, he did it at BYU. He was able to do it in spurts at Virginia. And, you know, no matter what, I think Bronco Mendenhall, the, like he was he was a great fit for that program. He did. He made a lot of head scratching mistakes and he couldn't quite figure out how to get over the hump consistently against Virginia Tech. But in terms of, you know, every time we would talk about this Commonwealth Cup preview at least in the last three years i think most of us would say like virginia was favored in that game and now moving forward you don't really have that x factor of bronco mendenhall i think you have to look at this as a positive for virginia tech virginia is going to be in a huge rebuild after this year i mean they're losing their quarterback and you're you're bringing in a guy with not a ton of experience as a head coach, no matter which way you spin it. So I think it's better off in the long term that Bronco Mendenhall, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, that he's no longer there. Turning to the Miami job and turning to what I had determined to be my favorite tweet of the day 
It comes from Mike Barber of the Richmond Times Dispatch. He writes, questions I hope Miami's Mario Cristobal is asked today. Number one, as a fellow coach, why were you comfortable engaging with Miami about their job while Manny Diaz was still employed there? Number two, why are you comfortable working at a place that just treated its last coach the way that it did? It has been a whirlwind of a 48 to 72 hours, at least publicly for Miami. And evidence seems to show that it's been going on a lot longer than that while Manny Diaz and his staff were on the road recruiting, trying to build up that football program. But alas, Mario Cristobal is now the sixth head coach of the University of Miami since joining the ACC. The media seems to think that, and I mean the national media seems to think, this is a shoe-in now. Miami is going to dominate the Coastal. But again, five previous coaches, one Coastal championship to show for it. Is this going to be as easy of a turnaround for Miami as national figures make it seem? Easy? No. Is this a nightmare if you're a Virginia Tech fan? I think so. And it's not just because of Mario Cristobal coming back. Um, it, it's more about the investment that Miami is now making in their football program. Not only did they spend an absurd amount of money, I think it was $9 million to buy him out. He's reportedly making $8 million a year annually. They bumped up the support. You know, Virginia Tech had maybe a week to bask in the glory of, of revving up their support staff and assistant coaching pool being, you know, next to Clemson in the ACC. And Miami says, hold my beer. We're coming in. And I think they overtook Clemson as the, the highest for highest pool for support staff and for their assistant coaching positions. It's already rumored that Joe Brady has mutual interest. The former Carolina Panthers, the Broyles award winner at LSU has interest in joining Miami. So you pair him with Mario Cristobal that has been a proven recruiter at every single stop. He's kind of, you know, the perfect figurehead for Miami. I don't know much about his coaching tactics. All I know, he was a former offensive lineman there. I watched his press conference today. I wanted to run through a wall. He's a guy that will absolutely die dominate the trail, uh, especially in Miami, keeping guys at home, which I think that, you know, they've struggled with in recent years. And if you bring in capable minds like a Joe Brady, someone on the defensive side that's, you know, an equivalent, I think you're looking at a major problem. And before it was the commitment to the Miami football program uh, under Manny Diaz, and now it's, you know, rolling out the red carpet for pretty much everything. I think the the turnaround will not be easy. I don't think this is going to be, you know, a college football playoff contending team within the next two years. But beyond that, all bets are off. I think they'll have the talent. There's no excuse not to get it done. Yeah. You know, I think uh, when you talk about recruiting, like we talked about earlier with Florida state, Miami recruiting is also on another level. Look at where they are. Like they're in the hotbed of talent for, for the Southeast. They're right there. You should be able to sign your whole class without going 10 miles outside of campus, right? So recruiting will be fine. The issue with Miami, every year Miami is back. They're like the, they're, they're the winners of the offseason every year. Um, but when you look at Miami and you look at like, you know, back in their heyday, back when they were, you know, the, the, the dominant team in college football, you know, half of that stuff wouldn't go on in today's college football game. Like 
a lot of those a lot of that type of mentality is is has gotten washed away over the years so you know i think he's going to be a great recruiter I, I wouldn't expect anything less i think they'll throw a ton of money at a problem that may or may not be fixable by money um but i think there's a i think there's an a a deeper issue at miami i mean we just talked about the fact that they hired a guy while while still employing another one you know you talk about somebody who goes and finds his next wife while he's married to somebody or or things like that like that it's hard to trust the systematic issues that miami has like deeper than the football program this they can throw all the money they want to at it but if they don't have the right people in there and the right structure in there it's just going to implode you know miami is going to be an attractive destination for a lot of people they're going to get a lot of big name players to go there they'll build a really nice staff but if they can't control the locker room if they can't control what happens away from the facilities they can't invest that money in the right way and they don't put together the right infrastructure to retain a guy like crystal ball to not get bored and and you know he lose a few games and they're already out there courting somebody else while he's still the head coach you know if they can if they can change their system completely from the inside out, I think we could be looking at Miami being a quicker turnaround than, than maybe most people think. But when you look at all of the issues that they've had, they're bringing in a new AD um, that will streamline things, but that takes, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes time to rebuild and rebrand the, the athletic department in the way that they want it to be run or that it should be run uh, and then, you know, trickle that down to the football program. I expect them to sign great classes. I expect them to uh, be dominant on the recruiting side of things. They got a, uh, a dynamite quarterback, but I'm not ready to say that Miami is is going to be, you know, the new Clemson or anything like that. I, I think it's too early to say that. They have a lot of issues behind the scenes that I think they're going to have to rectify before this thing gets back on track. For me, from the outside looking in, it's hard not to look at November 24th when Michigan State gave a coach with a 16 and 13 career record 10 years for $95 million as the first domino that fell that set off this absolutely crazy course of events that has put us where we are today. It's just this coaching cycle, unlike anything I've personally ever seen probably unprecedented overall it's just absolutely wild yeah not only that you think about lincoln riley to usc you think about brian kelly to lsu developing a southern accent while he's down there after one week there's just so many moves that are going on right now and the way that miami went about things is totally like out of bounds i don't know how you would ever trust the administration but you know mario crystal ball in terms of all the guys that they possibly could have gotten this cycle for a head coach he's the perfect fit by far a guy that's an alumni a guy that really will buy into what they're trying to build like Evan was saying, like part of my hesitance in saying like they're the next Clemson is because of all those unfixable problems. We didn't even mention the fact that their stadium is 30 miles away from campus and half the student fan base rarely, if ever, shows up to their games. But in terms of doing all the right things off the football field so far of getting the right people involved with the program and putting the right amount of commitment 
financially. I think, you know, Miami is looking scary. They're step one is complete. We'll see what happens with step two and step three. And if they're able to develop some of those prospects that they can get down in Florida, but you know, as things stand right now, they're, they're definitely going to be a, a nightmare in terms of just all the commitments they've made already. Indeed. Indeed. All right. We're running a little bit long gentlemen, but I got one more question for you. Who lands at Duke? Man, I would have said Derek Jones. You know, if you had asked me that a few weeks ago, I, I thought he was going to be the next guy. I mean, he's a Cutcliffe guy. He he cut his teeth there. He, he was there for over a decade. He's loved by the fans and North and South Carolina. He can recruit. I thought he would be the guy. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of, or there's been some talk of Tony Elliott going there. Like I said, he's he is connected to every. ACC head coaching gig. Um, you know, I think uh, I think there's been a few other names that were really interesting to me. You know, a guy that I really like, I think would be good there. I don't know what his buyout or anything like that is, but I really like Lance Leopold. I left Buffalo and went out to Kansas and has turned them around. I think he would do really well at a school like Duke. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how that one goes, but Duke is going to have inherent issues regardless of who they hire based upon their academic standards. I mean, when you look at schools that will not bend the rules to get a guys out eligible or get guys in school that maybe shouldn't have get, gotten in school because they're an athlete. Duke is one of them. I mean, that's a tough school to get into. So whoever they get has to have some type of a knowledge base of that, how to work those systems, how to, how to do, uh, how to coach around, uh, you know, and get the most out of your players when you can't go after a large subset of the recruiting pool, you have a very small amount of players that can academically get in and survive at a school like Duke. So yeah, that one's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I don't know if Mike Houston at ECU has extended or not. He would have been a really good pick. I think for Duke, um, if he hasn't extended, I expect him to at ECU. Um, we have heard of rumors of Jason Garrett, the, uh, you know, the former Dallas Cowboys head coach. And Wagner spoke that into existence if that happens. Which is absolutely insane because he's never even coached at college, doesn't have any ties to Duke University uh, from Princeton. But, um, I mean, how how iconic would that be if Jason Garrett, a guy that's, you know, <laughs> the, the ACC Coastal, if you were to make a pro comparison, would be the NFC East. And the guy that's been in the NFC East for such a long time, Jason Garrett, coming down to Duke, probably going to mold the next uh, big quarterback there. But outside of that, I'm I'm uncertain about him. I don't know if, how well he would run a collegiate program after all his experience in the NFL. But yeah, I mean, Duke is such a difficult job and you really need someone that's going to be patient, a younger guy that can kind of build up talent or maximize the most out of those guys. They're not going to get one of the biggest names. Um, and, and so that's why it's so interesting because they're linked right now to coordinators at Clemson. They're linked to NFL experienced guys. And then, you know, you're looking at G five head coaches. So they're pretty much linked everywhere except for power five head coaches. And I'm really curious to see what they do. I mean, it's such a difficult program that you really have to be the right type of personality to 
take that over and really hope to build something out of Duke. It'll be interesting, you know, when we're talking about Duke, when we're talking about all these other coaching jobs that are open or will open, and Jamie Chadwell remains the head coach at Coastal Carolina. It seems like the media might have liked that one a little more than athletic directors across the Power Five. All right, we have talked a lot. Couldn't even get to basketball. By the next time we talk, there'll probably be a new offensive coordinator, but we can get to the hoop stuff as well. We got Cornell tomorrow night, that being Wednesday night, before taking on Dayton over the weekend. Virginia Tech certainly can't afford to lose to Cornell, but really needs to pick up a quality win against Dayton as well, now that they've lost three of their last four against quality competition. Any last words, gentlemen? Yeah, I'll just say keep an eye on Tavion Robinson. It looks like uh, Kentucky has become a front runner for him in the transfer portal. But I know some of the guys at Virginia Tech are are really pushing him to stick things out a little bit longer and stay with Virginia Tech moving forward. So that'll be an interesting storyline to watch with all the NFL declarations all over. Uh, Tavion Robinson would definitely be a huge piece to keep in the fold in Brent Pry's upcoming first season. Yeah, official visits are back this weekend, too. A lot of kids coming to campus for their second officials uh, commits that get that extra waiver from the NCAA to uh, to take a second official to get to see Brent Pry and learn more about the staff, learn more about the vision moving forward. So big weekend ahead. Early signing day starts next week. So uh, yeah, it's, it's nose to the grindstone for these guys. Indeed, indeed. All right, folks, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. As always, check out vtscoop.com, part of that 24-7 Sports Network. Doug, enjoy the rest of your trip because it's back to work when you get home. Uh, I am Andrew Alex from Atasis and Evan Watkins. We thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, go Hokies.